I'm glad to be with you this morning. If you're a guest with us, we have been studying the book of Ecclesiastes the last number of weeks through a series we've been calling The Meaninglessness of Life. And really looking at the meaninglessness of life outside of or without Jesus and his perfect plan for our life. And so we thought um, that might be a little difficult to talk about over the Christmas season, you think? And so instead of talking about the meaninglessness of life, we're hitting pause on that for a few weeks, five weeks at least. And uh, we're going to be talking about the meaning of Christmas. The meaning of Christmas because of Jesus and his presence in our life and his perfect plan for our life. And so we're going to be making a a pivot this week, um, talking about those things for the next five weeks. And so I just want to begin by saying, Merry Christmas, huh? Yeah? Here we are. We're in Advent season, and uh, this is a great time of the year. And each year we take a time to talk about the meaning of Christmas. And as we do, um, we want to talk about the real meaning of Christmas. But not just the real meaning of Christmas. We want to talk about the full meaning of Christmas. Uh, We want to talk about the whole story of Christmas. In a sense, we want to talk about the whole meaning of Christmas. And one of the reasons for that is, as a church, one of our highest values is gospel centrality. We love the story of God. And maybe as you listen to the song, Behold the Lamb, hopefully you sung the song, Behold the Lamb. I think you did. That was loud. You sung loud. You all sung loud this morning. And I believe it's because we're filled This room is filled with a church filled with people that are filled with God's spirit, who are filled with joy over his story of redemption. And so as we prayed and planned for Advent season this year, we want to take a very gospel-centered approach and talk about the creation and the fall and the redemption and the recreation and the second Advent, the second coming of Jesus. We want to talk about not only the real meaning, but the whole meaning. We want to get to the whole story. And so in the weeks to come, we're going to be talking about things like, um, like a world in need of Christmas. We're going to see our need for Christmas. We're going to talk about the world longing for Christmas, just how much we desire the things that Christmas brings and why. We're going to be talking about the world experiencing Christmas on Christmas Eve. And then following Christmas Eve on January 1st, we're going to be talking about the world after Christmas and looking at the reality that we just can't live our lives the same because of Christmas. But this morning, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. So we're going all the way back to the beginning this morning, and we're going to be talking about a world before Christmas. A world before Christmas, or we might say it this way as well, the world without Christmas. And I know that sounds strange, but there was a time when there wasn't a need for Christmas. And I know it's hard to imagine, but there wasn't a time when there was a need for the hope and the joy and the peace and the light and the life that Christmas brings. And this reality tells us about something about the kind of world that God created us for, a world before Christmas. And it also tells us something about the kind of God that Jesus is. And the only gospel writer that, of the four that really gives us more than a glimpse into this is, is John. And that's why we read in John 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning was the word Jesus was there in the beginning. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him not, was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus was there in the beginning. Jesus was there in the beginning, and he was there in the beginning. And because he was, 
light and life were there in the beginning because he is the source of both life and light. And so as we think about Christmas this season, as we think about the meaning of Christmas this season, as we think about the world before Christmas here this morning, we think about the reality that Jesus is the light and he created us for a world that is filled with light, all right? Jesus is the light, and he created us for a world that is filled with light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. John actually mentions the word light seven times in this opening section of his gospel. So if you stretch on down to verse 18 or so, or a little bit further, you'll see that John uses the term light, the word light, seven times. He uses it 36 times in his gospel account as a whole, and this tells us something. John is trying to tell us something. Again, when the Bible wants to emphasize something, it doesn't underline it, it doesn't highlight it, it doesn't put it in bold italics or a different color or a different font. It simply repeats it. And John's trying to tell us something. He's trying to tell us that we were created to live in the light. That we were created to live in the light. And I believe what John is doing is, I believe he's taking us back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. I believe John, in using the term light, is doing something intentional. He's taking us all the way back to Genesis 1, verse 3. He's taking us back to literally the first words of God in the Bible. And if Jesus was there in the beginning, and if he was the one through which all things were created, he takes us back, I think we can say the first words of Jesus in the Bible, where it says in Genesis 1, 3, God said, let there be light. John is taking us back to the very first words of God that are ever recorded, let there be light. Because John's trying to tell us that we were created for everything that light brings. And there are so many things we could mention this morning about what light brings. I have four words this morning that I hope will bring some clarity. The first one is clarity. Light brings clarity. Light helps us to see things. If you shine your light on something, it, it makes it more clear. It, it makes, makes it easier to see. I am experiencing this in this season of life. We will go to a nice, a few great Christmas dinners, and we'll go to a restaurant and one of those dinners, and it will be dimly lit, and I will take these out for the first year. And I will also take out my phone, and I will light up the menu because the light brings what? Brings clarity. Now I can see, <laughs> right? Light also brings energy. Think about vitamin D. My, uh, my Italian grandfather used to sit outside for 30 minutes a day, every single day, summer, spring, fall, winter. He would sit on his lounge chair in the sun every day. His skin was like an alligator, you know, but, but he had so much life and vitality. What do we say? Vitamin D, Matthew, you need it every day. Think about, think about solar panels, right? Getting, getting the, the sun and transforming it into energy. My dad was a rock scientist. I want to say he is. He's a retired rocket scientist, and we, we built a, a little car for the Matchbox, you know, Derby, but we put a motor on it with solar, pan solar panels, because that's just, that's what rocket scientist dads do, right? So, like, I learned at an early age, like, the sun brings energy. Light brings energy. Light brings vitality. Think about the photosynthesis process. Maybe you're homeschooling your kids, and you're, you're going through that whole graph and that whole process, and if you're not, you will. And you understand how light brings life and vitality to things. And light brings beauty. And think about the favorite picture in your home that you have lit up a certain way or 
Think about the, the perfect home that's landscaped with the lighting outside or the lights that are shining up on things to emphasize certain things or a light on a, on a, a picture or painting to, to bring out all the hues in the color of the painting. This is what light does. Light brings clarity and energy and vitality and beauty. And we were created to know nothing but all of this. This is what God created us for, the, the world before Christmas. And so I just want to say during Christmas when you see the, the Christmas lights on a tree or outside or when you see candles lit and flickering in windows or in your home or when you see the star on top of your tree. We have a tradition. Our kids still get on our back. Ashley still got on my back last night. You know, hopped her up there and it was her year to put the star on the tree. When you look at the lights in windows and the reflections and refractions of everything, please be reminded that this was the kind of life that God created you for. A life of perfect clarity in everything. Could you use that? A life of endless energy <laughs> for everything in life. Could you use that, especially in the throes of the seasons with your kids are young? Could you use that kind of energy? Perfect vitality, like life, like vibrancy, boundless vitality in your life. This is what God created you and I for. And flawless beauty. He created us to see beauty in everything. Sometimes it's hard these days to see it. He did it all because he's good. This doesn't just reveal to us the kind of world that God created us for, a world that's filled with light, but, but it reveals to us the kind of God that Jesus is. He is good. He wants us to enjoy all of these good things. And so as we think about the world before Christmas, we think about the reality that Jesus is light and he created us for a world filled with light, but we also think about the second reality that Jesus is life. And he created us for a world that's filled with life. In him was life. And this life was the light of men. The life was the source for all of the things we've just been talking about. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not over, has not overcome it. We'll get to that in a moment. But as we talk about life, and as we have over the years, we've really talked about life in two ways. Quali quantity of life and quality of life. And if you're like me, those are two things that you want. You've heard me say it, I don't know, a dozen times. We've been here over the years. My grandfather lived to 101 years old, Grandpa Kaiser, and I'd sure like to live that long because he had that kind of vitality and life. His wits were about him till 101 years old. He lived a long time. He did a fruitful life. I want to live a long time, and I want that kind of life. I want to live long, and I want to live well quantity of life and quality of life. And I know if you're like me, and, and I, I think most of us are pretty much the same in this, we want to live long and we want to live well. And we do all kinds of things in our lives to make sure that we can live long. We eat well, we exercise, we do these certain things because we want to live long and we want to live well. And so we pursue things in life for our own wellness or we want to take care of our kids and our family. We want them to experience great things. We want to live long and we want to live well. Jesus created us for these kind of lives where we live long and we live well. And he did it again because he's good. He wants us to live forever, and he wants us to live forever with perfect clarity, with boundless energy and vitality, and he wants us to live in a world where we see flawless beauty in everything. That's the world before Christmas. This is the way that it was meant to be. But you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but it's not like that. Like, I don't have a lot of clarity about a lot of things in life, and 
I don't have boundless energy. I get tired and I'm worn down, and especially in this season. And, you know, my vitality is sort of waning, you know, in, in my latter years. And I'm not sure I have as much life and energy as I did before. And I tend to, like, focus on the negative. I'm seeing things that are wrong. It's hard to see beauty in things because things seem so flawed and broken. And, well, that's because that's the reality. John tells us that there was not only light in the beginning, but he reveals fairly soon that there was also the presence of darkness. And it wasn't, he's not just talking about nighttime. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We'll get to that. But I think here we see John drawing our attention not all the way back to Genesis 1, 3, but he is drawing our attention back to Genesis 3, 4 through 5, where the serpent comes and says to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And if you know the story, you know the story goes like this, that our first parents believed a lie, that there was, well, that there was light outside of God and outside of our relationship with him that we could bring our own sense of clarity and our own sense of energy and vitality and beauty to our lives. We don't need him for that. We can pursue that on our own. And, well, history has shown we've come up with all kinds of ways to try to do so. And our first parents also believed the lie that there was life outside of God, that we could live longer or that we could just live better without him. If we couldn't live longer, we sure could live better without him. We'll just live life on our own and we'll create the life that we want for ourselves and be better for the, than the life that God created us for. And in seeking light and life outside of God himself, our parents actually ended up bringing darkness and death, right? This is more the full story of Christmas. And when we talk about darkness, we're really talking about it in two ways, I believe. As the Bible talks about darkness, it talks about it with two terms. One is ignorance and the other is evil. When you read about darkness in the Bible, it's often talking about ignorance, that we go about in darkness because we can't see things. We are blind to those things because we're ignorant. We can't see and we don't know. We don't understand. And as much as we think we know about life and all the things that are part of life and the world that's been entrusted to us, really have no idea what we're doing. Like we have made a mess of things. We're messing everything up and it's because of our ignorance. And maybe you can see it when you just look at any area of our life. And I could... I could pick on any area, but the four that are easiest, I think, is just, I think our best political minds, I, I, don't, I don't think they have any idea what they're doing. As I look at the landscape, I just think we have no idea what we're doing politically in the world. The world is hostile, and it's broken, and there's antagonism. And as much of the, the work and the progress that you can see, there's so much more that's broken and wrong. We're always talking about problems, and people are always saying they're going to fix them with policies, and they never get fixed. I think that our best political minds have no idea what they're doing. I think our best social minds have no idea what they're doing. We all have plans to fix society. I was an anthropology major. We think we can understand people. We can understand their habits. We can understand the things that we do as human beings, and we can make it all better. But our best social minds, I believe, have no idea what they're doing. Our best educational minds, we can just get more educated. We can learn more, and we can have better skills, and like we can actually do this. I don't think our educational minds, the best ones, have any idea what they're doing, any idea how to help every student to succeed, I don't think our best economic minds have any idea what they're doing. 
like trying to pull the strings on all these economic louvers to try to try to make it all right for everyone. I don't think they know what they're doing. And at the same time, the Bible teaches that actually they and we, we all know exactly what we're doing. Because when the Bible talks about darkness, it doesn't just talk about ignorance. Like we just don't know what we're doing. It talks about evil. We know exactly what we're doing. And we do it anyway. In some sense, I believe our best political minds, I believe they know exactly what they're doing. They want power. They know exactly what they're doing. Our best social minds, they know exactly what they're doing. They, don't, they do know enough about socialization and social practices and habits and norms, and they want control. They know exactly what they're doing. Our best educational minds will always say, well, we, we could say they don't know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> they're brainwashing. They're indoctrinating. They want people to do what they tell them to do. And our best economic minds, they know exactly what they're doing. Well, it might seem like they can never get it right. No, no, it's, it, they, they, they're after greed. They're after profiting themselves while everyone else just, well, really doesn't. The Bible says evil is, or darkness is ignorance, but it also says it's evil. We don't know what we're doing. We know exactly what we're doing. But it's not just that. The full story says that they offer, ushered in not just darkness, but death. I mean, as much as we want to pursue living longer and living better, I mean, we're all eventually going to die. And as much as we want to pursue living longer and living better collectively, we're, we're actually not creating a culture of life. We're creating a culture of death. I mean, so look, at, look at the world and look at all the talk about war. And Jesus says, as the end comes, like there will be war and rumors of war. And there's war because, well, there's, cultures of, there's a culture of death in our world. And wars get funded and people get rich because there's a culture of death. Like, abortion and the laws that are on the books today like we're really wondering, can you, can, can, does a doctor have to save a baby when it comes out of the womb and it survives an abortion? Like this is the kind of culture we have created. We have a culture of death. This is how far it's gone. This week we were in Apprentice Academy and Pastor David was teaching on the image of God, how God has created us as in his image and his likeness. Pastor David showed a video from um, a company in Canada and that the whole video is about euthanasia and about how the, the, the powers that be in, uh, in the country just north of us are trying to help people end their life sooner. And it was the grossest commercial you could ever imagine. It, 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 was, it was the darkest lie wrapped in the most beautiful production, right? Because why wouldn't the government want to save all kinds of money not having to care for their people who are created in the image of the likeness of God? We have created cultures of death. We were created for light and life, but we live in a world filled with darkness and death and this isn't the way it was supposed to be. There was a world before Christmas. I think sometimes we think that our world is so dark that the world before us wasn't that dark. But if you study history and you look back, or even if you open up the pages of the Old Testament, you realize that actually the world that they lived in was as dark as the world that we live in. In the middle of one of the darkest times, actually, God made a promise to his people that he would bring the life back, that he would bring the light back, that light would come, and ultimately that it would do away with the darkness and it would do away with death. And 
if you're familiar with Christmas promises and Christmas prophecies and Christmas scriptures, you know where we're going. I mean, this, this promise is one of the most popular promises in the Bible. It's certainly the most popular promise during Christmas and Advent season. That was made 700 years before Jesus would come in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. It says, the people who walked in darkness, a darkness as dark as ours, have seen a great light. Those who dwell in deep darkness, on them light has shone. And I, I, think, I think John, using light so often in his introduction in John chapter 1, and using it so often in his entire gospel count in the book of John, I, I think... I think in John 1, at least, he's making a reference back to Isaiah 9. He knows Isaiah 9. He knows the promise. He knows the story. He knows not just the real meaning of Christmas. He knows the full meaning of Christmas. He knows this part of the story. And I believe John is saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise of light. And I believe this is true because John goes on to express that the promise is not just for a new philosophy that will bring light in life or a new way of looking at the world, a new worldview that will bring light in life. A new system, a new structure that will bring light in life to people. No, he's, he's talking about a person because when we go down to verse 9, we have the familiar verse that we all know that, that unto us a child, not a philosophy is born, not a worldview is born. Unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Jesus is the light, and he brings clarity instead of confusion. He is the Wonderful Counselor. And so as you think about Jesus this Christmas, and you think about the full meaning of Christmas, he is the Wonderful Counselor. He is the one who will bring clarity where you lack clarity in this season. Maybe there's a place you do lack clarity in this season. You can have it if you just look to Jesus. Jesus is the light, and so he brings vitality instead of lethargy. He brings energy instead of lethargy. He is the almighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He brings power. He brings energy. He brings life and vitality. He is the everlasting Father. Do you need life and vitality and energy in this season? Physically, emotionally, spiritually, you go to Jesus for these things. He's, Jesus is the source. Jesus is the light, and so he brings, and he alone brings beauty. Instead of the ugliness and everything that's marred and broken in the world around us, he is the Prince of Peace. That word literally means shalom, which means completeness. When you see a painting that's done and that's complete and the light is shining on it and you see the beauty and the colors of the hues and the picture that the artist is trying to, to paint, this is a way that you can see this. It is complete. When you look at the story of a person's life and it's lived from, from life to death and all that they accomplished and the beauty and all of it, there's a completeness to it. All that God had for them, that is, there's a completeness to their life. And mostly as we look at the story of God and we look at the full story of Christmas and we look at the creation and the fall and the redemption and the recreation and the second coming, the second advent of Jesus Christ. When we look at that full story, there we see the full and ultimate, eternal and perfect beauty that God wants us to see. If you want to see something beautiful this Christmas, look to Jesus 
we see this reality of Jesus as the light unfolding in the Christmas story. And, you know, as, as we thought about and we talked about this, this approach to Advent season, I was thinking, how am I going to give a sermon about Advent season and Christmas without talking about Christmas? Like, how are we going to talk about the world before Christmas without talking about Christmas? And then I thought, well, we're going to need to talk about Christmas a bit, and we're going to need to talk about the second Advent a bit. And so I just want to walk us through the rest of the story. We've just sung Behold the Lamb, the story of redemption is written on his hands. There is a full story here. And we see the reality of Jesus is the light unfolding in the Christmas story. If you know the Christmas story, you know um, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, Elizabeth gets pregnant with John, right? John the baptizer. And Zechariah names him John. And, and Zechariah says that he's going to be the one that goes before the Messiah, that goes before the Redeemer, that goes before the one that would bring light in life. And as he talks about John, he talks about him saying, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace, that John was going to come and prepare the way that would ultimately be for Jesus, who would bring the light that would dispel the darkness. Isn't it interesting that as we think about the story of Jesus' birth, even out of the Gospel of Matthew, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, a very dark, dark time in world history, behold, wise men from the east came saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star when it rose and have come to worship him, that God actually chose the brightest light in the stars, the brightest light in the heavens, to be the thing that pointed to where Jesus, the light of the world, would be born. Tim Keller says it this way, notice that it doesn't say from the world a light has sprung, but upon the world a light has dawned. This, this is what we think about when we think about the birth of Jesus Christ. And you could even think about Luke's gospel in Luke's gospel, Jesus is born, and after he's born, he, he goes through the normal rites um, on the eighth day, and they take him into the temple, and, and they see two characters in that part of the story, the end of the Christmas story, as you will. They see Anna, and they see a man named Simeon. And, and these, these two individuals have been looking for the light of the world, and the one that would bring the light and the life. And as Simeon sees the baby Jesus, he says these words, now, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. What? A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. That Jesus would be the one that would be the light that would come to show us the way that we're supposed to live, the, the life that he ultimately created us for. Luke tells us in chapter 2 that Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. That Jesus grew, and we know the rest of the story is that Jesus grew and became a man and had a ministry. And as Jesus taught, in the Gospel of John, at least, we see Jesus saying things like this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, that will have the clarity and the energy and the vitality and will see the beauty in all of these things that I've created. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. We don't have to remain in darkness, in confusion, in the fog, and lack of clarity. We don't have to lack all of the things that God has for us because, well, we have Jesus. 
For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. That, that we find all the life that we need, all the vitality that we need. Again, physically, emotionally, spiritually, in every way, in and through Jesus. And perhaps the most well-known statement about Jesus in the life that he brings in the whole Bible, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have, well, have eternal life. And again, eternal life is quantity of life and it is quality of life. And not just because I say so or someone like me says so or someone that writes a book or some other pastor says it. It's because Jesus actually said that. In John 11, Jesus said, to Mary, I'm the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who, believe, who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is the one that's saying, quantity of life is with me. Eternal life is with me. Quantity of life is with me. John 10, one chapter previous, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. If you just want quantity of life, you can come to me. If you want quality of life, you can come to me, Jesus is saying. That they might have life and they might have it abundantly. Quality of life as well as the quantity of life. And looking back on all of this, a man that met Jesus in a... <laughs> Well, a rather unusual way, blinding by light. The Apostle Paul knocked to the ground, blinded by the light that Jesus brings, meets Jesus, becomes a Christian, becomes the greatest missionary in the history of the world, writes more books in the New Testament than anyone, and in 2 Corinthians writes to the Corinthian church saying, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, Paul also goes all the way back to the beginning of the story, to the world before Christmas, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul says this is where life is. This is where light is. It's with Jesus. And we see this at the end of the story. As you're reading through the scripture reading plan this year, you find yourself in Revelation um, and Job at the end of the year. Isn't that fun? find yourself there at the end of the year. But you find yourself in Revelation at the end of the year, and, and soon you're going to find yourself in Revelation chapter 21. Like, like you're going to get to Christmas toward the end of the year, and you're going to find yourself in Revelation chapter 21. You're going to go through Christmas, and you're going to look about the birth of Jesus, and then in your scripture reading, you're going to get to Revelation 21, and you're going you're to encounter the reality that Jesus is actually going to come again that there was a first advent, but there will be a second advent, that Jesus will return. He will come again, and he's not going to be in a little manger, and he's not going to be Jesus, meek and mild. <laughs> he's going to come a little differently the second time. And when he does, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And when he does, it's going to be this way. Revelation chapter 21, 23 to 25, says it like this. And the city, that new Jerusalem, has no need for sun. Or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be, <laughs> there will be no night there. 
because Jesus is there and there is only light and there is only life. In Villas Churches, we consider not just the real meaning of Christmas, but we consider the full meaning of Christmas, the whole story of Christmas, the whole meaning of Christmas. We have good news this morning as we start, even as we talk about the world before Christmas, and I believe the good news this morning is something like this, that Jesus created us for life and light, and he gives us his life and light through our trust in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So as one of your pastors, can I just encourage you this Christmas season, this Advent season, that as you think about the story, consider the whole story, and we're going to do our best as your pastors to help you walk through the full story, not just the world before Christmas, but a world in need of Christmas, a world longing for Christmas, a world experiencing Christmas, the world after Christmas. And we're looking forward to walking through it with all of you together. Would you pray with me? Well, Jesus, this morning we certainly thank you that, that we know not only the, the real meaning, but we know the whole meaning. We know the full meaning. We know the whole story. And Jesus, we thank you this morning for the whole story. We thank you for the manger, and we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the wooden stable, the wooden feed trough that you were likely born in. We thank you for the wooden cross that that you died on and were nailed to in our place and for our sins. We think about all of the darkness that well, our sins have brought into the world. We thank you that you've forgiven us and you've wiped our slate clean and you've given us forgiveness and freedom to live into the life that you have for us and to live into the light that you have for us. And we pray this Christmas season, as we consider you and as we consider your birth, that we'd also consider your life and your death and your resurrection. And we'd consider the fact that you're coming again. Help us to consider the whole story. And Jesus, we thank you for this beginning of the story. We thank you for the whole story. We thank you for the whole of all of who you are to us, all of the, what you've done for us. And so we sing to you, we thank you, and we do it in your name, and we do it for your sake, Jesus. Amen.